Okay, welcome everyone. We are continuing our study of Simha. We are in class number 79. We've been specifically talking about the subject of humility. As we've mentioned a few times, humility is one of those midot that it's very hard to know the reality of our humility. And therefore we need to give simanim, signs, our actions that will determine if our humility is real or it's an illusion. We've already discussed a number of times, I'm not going to repeat, how essential humility is to simha in general, to our shalom bayit specifically, to our home, to our children, and really to everything that we do physically and spiritually. But it's got to be real. It cannot be an illusion. So we're going to spend a few minutes today with another siman of a humble person. Which means without this, a person cannot claim that they are humble. Without this, they're definitely missing something. We're going to have to get there. So we'll start with Parashat Pinehas. Over there, the Torah reports that Hashem told Moshe Rabbeinu that it's time for him to go up to the mountain and then he's going to die. Usually, humans are not given that information. But he was. And the Pasuk says, Vaidaber Moshe el Adonai Lemor. That's a very unusual Pasuk. It sounds almost familiar, but it's very unusual. The normal way of saying that pasuk is Vaidaber Adonai El Moshe Lemur Hashem spoke the word Vaidaber means strong there's Vayomer a little softer Vaidaber means Moshe spoke or usually Hashem spoke strong to Moshe Lemur to say to say to others to repeat to Bnei Yisrael but here the Pasuk says, Vaidaber Moshe. Moshe now has some strong words to say to who? To Hashem. Lemor, to say. To say what? Who does God have to say to? So we'll get back to that. He says, Yifkod Adonai 
Elohe haruchot lechol basar. Hashem, you, you are the God of the spirits of all basar. The word basar literally means meat, bodies. You, who is the God of the spirits of all bodies, Yifkod, please appoint Ish al Haeda, someone who is going to be on top of the congregation of the Jewish people. Asher Yetze Lifnehem, someone that's going to go out in front of them. Asher Yabo Lifnehem, someone who is going to go in in front of them. Asher Yotziem, someone who's going to take them out. Asher Yevim, someone who's going to take them in. Adat Adonai, and let not the community of Hashem, the Jewish nation, be katzon like sheep. Asher En Lahem sheep don't have a shepherd. Let our people not be like sheep. We don't want to have no shepherd. We want a shepherd. Basically, Moshe Rabbeinu is pleading, Vaidaber, strong words. Hazal tell us he told Hashem, Lemor, I'm not stopping until you answer me. That's pretty, pretty tough words to speak with the creator of the world. You're lucky you're even able to breathe. Now you're demanding an answer back. I thought that, I would have thought that it's not appropriate to speak to God like that. Strong words, vaidaper, and I'm not moving from here until you answer me, or God has to answer you, not your servant. But that's what Moshe does. And what is it that he wants an answer for? He wants Hashem to say, or better yet, to appoint a new leader. Moshe Rabbeinu's time is up. And the first thing Moshe Rabbeinu does is pray, but not for himself. He had something to pray for. Maybe we'll get to that at the end of the, the class. He obviously has his own personal needs. But yet, the first thing on his mind in this very strong prayer is the future of the Jewish people, specifically their leadership. Just as an aside, parentheses, you see from here that leadership doesn't end with death. It's a very important principle. It may sound like a very simple statement I just made, but it's not that simple. Leadership doesn't end with death. We know leadership means you take responsibility for your children, for your grandchildren, for your students, for your 
synagogue, for your community. Wherever you've been a leader, Hashem put you in that position, you have a responsibility. So that we all know that leadership equals responsibility. But we learn from here that the responsibility does not end when you leave this world. Which means that Moshe Rabbeinu, in this case, Hashem says, okay, you're done. It's time to retire. Physically and from your job. It's over. One would have said, okay, my job is over. But Moshe Rabbeinu understands that leadership goes beyond you. It's bigger than you. And it extends longer than you. Which means that you, as a leader, have to make sure that whoever you're leading is in a position to continue after you. I'll give you a simple example. Parents have to worry about their children even after they will not be here. So you say it like in what? For example, money. If parents have money, a little or a lot, that is a big issue. It's a big deal. I don't want to say most. It's going to sound exaggerated. I'm not sure if it is, though. But many, many, many families struggle when they're left with money from parents. Fighting. Sometimes very ugly, sometimes just cold. Families broken. To the point that I could tell you that if you want your children to be happy after 120, don't leave them money. Just declare poverty. Give out all your money. Because when money is there, it's a huge issue. You cannot imagine the amount of fighting and sometimes over nonsense. The best families, the best people. Money gets in the way, gets very personal, and the family is destroyed. No more ahdut, no more unity. A lot of times the beracha is gone. The support is gone. Your brother is not your brother anymore. You lose your sister. That's a ma'asim bechol yom. This is happening daily. This is not a, yeah, that, that family. That, there are many things that you don't hear about. They don't talk about this in the newspapers. But it's all over, everywhere. Where there's money, there is usually a problem. Unless the parents were very thought out and knew how to deal with it ahead of their exit. It's not so pleasant to plan for your exit, not out of a job or out of life. But that's part of leadership. Your leadership to your family is beyond your stay. You got to make sure that whatever you're leaving them 
there's going to be shalom. Each situation has to be handled. I'm not here coming to tell you how to do it. That's not the point. The point is you got to think about it, and it's got to be well thought out and well planned to make sure that your family stays together. It is that way in a business. You have sometimes a family business, and the business starts to expand with people because the generation, the new generation, starts to come in. Now, by the time they come in, and by the time they, you're already going to retire. But your leadership does not end by retirement. You have to think about where and how and how they're going to get along and how they're going to bring beracha into their lives. A rabbi has to worry about the next rabbi. He cannot say, okay, well, I'm done, I'm retired. It doesn't matter who else they bring. It's not my problem. Of course that's your problem. You cannot leave a position willingly unless you have someone that's going to continue doing the proper job in any area, no matter what position you're in. Whether you're a rabbi or a lay leader, you're leading a chesed organization that's helping people, you can just step down. Well, I'm done. I'm a volunteer. What's the difference? No one pays me for this job. So why can I just leave? Let someone else take it. You can't do that. Right now, you're the leader. you got to make sure that someone is taking over, someone that's capable. You can just wash your hands and keep moving. Leadership continues after exit, no matter what kind of exit. You have to worry about what happens after you. That's part of your responsibility. That's what you see from Moshe Rabbeinu. He's pleading with the creator of the world that they should have a leader after him, even though his job is over. So you see, his job is not over. Your job is over when you prepared the person after you. There are many examples I can give you. I gave you enough to think about, but you get the idea. So in this tefillah, in this request, I'd like to go over just some of the highlights of what exactly Moshe Rabbeinu wanted out of a leader. I read it before quickly, but just I want to just point out a few things. What does it mean when Moshe Rabbeinu says, you, the God of the spirits, Elohei Haruhot, the God of the spirits of all flesh. What, what kind of description is that of God? Just say, Hashem Elohim, Hashem God, that's it. What do you have to say, Elohei? When did you ever hear someone call Hashem Elohei Haruhot Lechol Basar? Very unusual. Why here, when Moshe is talking to Hashem, he gives this odd description? Of course, God is the God of all the spirits. He's the God of everything. We know that. But why do you have to be so specific in this case? So Hazal tells us, the Midrash says, Rashi brings it. That Moshe Rabbeinu was alluding to the type of leader that he was requesting. He basically was saying, Hashem, just like you know that the Ruach, 
the spirit of each person is not like the other. Each person is unique, just like Hashem made us, where we all look different, even though we have the same qualities or the same limbs, but yet we all look different. We all sound different. We have <clears throat> different fingerprints. It's one of the great miracles in this world that out of the billions of people that lived from Adam Arishon till today, not one human is the same. Everyone's different. Just like everyone looks different physically, so too each person has a different mindset. People are not the same. They think different. They have an interesting way about the way their thought process works. Maybe they like certain things more than others. Maybe they're attached to certain things more than others. Everyone's unique in their thinking. So basically what the Midrash is saying, that Hashem, I need a leader that is able to understand this important principle that humans are not machines that you replicate. They're not phones that you put on the assembly line. Each person is different. A leader needs to know that and deal with them appropriately. Like Rashi says, Shiyehe sovel lekol ehad ve'ehad that he is able to carry or have patience for each person according to his da'at, according to his mind, the way he looks at things. It doesn't mean everybody's right, but it means that you have to deal with them and you have to figure out how to get to the truth or to the right way through their road, their highway. Not everyone could be led on the same highway. Every mother knows that. Every father knows that. Your own children, same parents, the same family, twins, they were born the same time. Yaakov and Isav. Each one is different. They're not the same. Every teacher knows you walk into a classroom, 20, 30 children. Each one is different. Their emotions are different. Their sensitivities are different. The way they think is different. The way they learn is different. You say it this way, half of them understand. You say it the other way, the other half understands. One understands through stories, through examples. One understands through direct. He has to know clear, like, like, a, like a math problem. People are different. And you need a leader that understands that and is able to carry them because he does understand. That's what Moshe Rabbeinu was hinting to when he called God Elohei Haruchot. He said, Hashem, who better than you? The one that made all these spirits and put them in each basar. Who better than you understands how to choose the right leader that also could see 
all these spirits and appreciate them and deal with them appropriately. Why does he mention the word basar? What a, seems like a, a little bit of a belittling type of word to call humans basar. Basar is meat. Basar is what you buy at the butcher. You usually don't call people basar, a piece of meat. That's not a very high level description of a human. Say body, say physical. What's, what's basar? Why does he use that word? Some explain that Moshe Rabbeinu was alluding to something else. He was telling Hashem, we need a leader who's not only concerned about their spiritual well-being, but also about their physical, their basar, their health. That he's concerned that they would eat properly. As you know, Hashem put the ruach, put the soul in basar. Before we were a body of a human being, we were just a piece of meat like every animal. But Hashem put a spirit in this basar. And now we became something greater. But just because we, the, the soul that we have is our greatest asset and what makes us humans and special, we cannot forget the basar. We cannot forget to take care of our bodies. And a leader has to worry about people's physical well-being, about their health, about their parnasah, where they're going to live, how they're going to afford. It's all part of leadership. Moshe Rabbeinu says, I don't want someone who just cares about their spiritual future, someone who's able to take care of their physical health now. In fact, the man, Hazal tell us, the man that we ate for 40 years was in the zechut of Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu, he brought the man? Isn't Moshe Rabbeinu worried about bigger things in life like bringing the Torah to Am Yisrael? He's teaching the Torah. He's answering questions in halakha. He's Moshe Rabbeinu. He's Moshe, our teacher. But yet the man came in his zechut, which means as a leader, he understood the great value of taking care of the physical needs of the people that he's leading. There's an old saying in Hasidut that says that a pious man is not one who worries about his fellow man's soul and his own stomach. A pious Jew worries about his own soul and his fellow man's stomach. The stomach of somebody else, the parnasah of somebody else, the physical well-being of someone else is your soul. When I take care of my physical needs, that's a physical act. When I take of somebody else's physical needs, that's a spiritual act. When I buy food for me, it's keeping my body healthy. When I buy food for you, it's keeping my soul healthy. A leader is not only interested in the spiritual well-being of the people, 
but he's just as concerned about their physical well-being, knowing that they're very much connected. A teacher, a rabbi who's teaching young men or a teacher teaching young ladies, if they only care about their learning and about their mitzvot and about all the values and their teaching, they're probably not going to succeed. A great teacher is the one who feeds their students. Feeds them what? Donuts. Feeds them a meal. Feeds their physical health. Because only through the connection of the body and soul can they come together and have real meaning. That's the way leadership works. There's no such thing as leading the soul without leading the body along. That's why it says, Basar, we need a leader who worries about them physically too. Not only about their religious, quote-unquote, observance. Ish al ha'edah. Moshe Rabbeinu continues and says, we need an ish. What does he mean when he says ish? Does he mean a man, not a woman? Is that his point? Some explain beautifully that a leader before anything else has to be an ish. Before being a leader, they have to be a gentleman. They have to be someone that people can speak with and try to learn from, not as a leader, just as a person. Before you could be a leader, you have to be an ish. You have to be an example of a kind, sensitive human being. Ish al ha'eda. Al ha'eda. Why does he call B'nai Yisrael da'eda? The word eda is generally translated as community. We are this Aida. I come from this Aida, from the Iraqi Aida, from the Iranian Aida, from the Syrian Aida. Aida Haredit, Aida. Aida usually describes a community, a small group of something bigger. When does the word Aida describe the Jewish people? Shouldn't he say, Ish al ha'am, Am Yisrael, the nation of Israel? What's Aida? The nation of Israel became a community? That's all we are. When did we ever see that description for the community, excuse me, for Am Yisrael as the community? You never even heard it, that they would call the Jewish nation a community. But that's what Moshe Rabbeinu says. I need ish al ha'eda. Someone above the community. No, Moshe, wait. This is not a community job. This is a nation job. Some beautifully explain that the word eda is used in the Torah to describe the miraglim 
and not the good ones. Not 12, the 10 that were not that great. In fact, you should know that the halakha of a minyan, the 10 Jews get together in this kiddushah, is learned, the Gemara Masechet Berachot learns it from the word aida. To be a group, an aida, 10. How do we know, says the Gemara, that a group is 10? So they say, you know how we know? Because in the Torah, Hashem says to Moshe Rabbeinu, Ad matai, how long? La eda hara'a hazot. This evil, this terrible eda, how long will they go and do this terrible thing of talking about Eretz Yisrael? So who's called the Eidah? Well, we know it's not 12, because two of them, Yeshua and Kalev, they were good. So who's Eidah Ra'ah? 10. Oh, so says the Gemara, you see from here, that 10 people are called the Eidah. And from there we learn that a Minyan, where we could say Kaddish, Kedusha, Barechu, is with 10 people. Don't you think it's an odd source for such a holy gathering? That the whole concept of a minyan, of ten Jews getting together for holiness, is learnt from the ten bad miraglim? Couldn't there be a, like, I don't know, the ten people who donated to the Mishkan, the ten leaders who did something special for their Shevet? The Torah chose the ten miraglim to be the source of a minyan of Kedusha? And some explain yes. To tell you that even people who are not that great can also be included in the minyan. You don't need ten Moshe Rabbeinus to be in the minyan. You don't need ten perfect Jews to have a minyan. Even people like the miraglim could also be part of the minyan. It's also kadosh. It's also holy. According to that, maybe we understand better the words of Moshe Rabbeinu. Ish al ha'eda. A man that's able to deal with aida, With people like the miraglim. With people who are not so righteous. People not doing good things. A leader needs to deal with that too. You're not going to get everybody's perfect. You're not going to get a community where everyone is doing exactly as you say or as God says. So you have to deal with it. And there's a way to deal with it. Ish al ha'eda. Not al ha'am. Al ha'eda. Even people who are like the eda. Someone who will take care of them. Continues Moshe Rabbeinu. Words that seem to be repetitive. He says, Asher Someone that will go out in front of them or come in in front of them. Someone that will take them out and bring them in. Sounds very repetitious. Some explain again beautifully. 
Where would we be without Hazal and the rabbis who explained to us the beautiful depth of each word? That these are two separate qualities of a leader. Asher lifnehem is not a person who's leading by his instruction. It's a leader who leads by example. Asher yetzeh, he goes out in front of them. When something has to be done, he goes to do it. He's not telling people to do it. He does it himself. If they have to go in somewhere, he's going in. He's not sitting on his chair and instructing people. Says Moshe Rabbeinu, I don't need that kind of leader. I need a leader who is going to be an example. If something needs to be done, he's doing it first. He's not telling them to come. He's going himself. Asher yetzer lifnehem ve'asher yavo lifnehem. He's in the front. Anything that needs to be done, he's right there. The second one is Asher Yotziem Asher Yeviem, which means that he has the chokhmah that when somebody else comes to him and asks for advice, he knows how to guide them in their issues. So the first part is living his life as an example. But everybody's got a different life. So sometimes you could live your life as an example, but you have no idea how to live somebody else's life. So the second part is no, that when somebody comes with their angle, he's able, Asher Yotziem. He's okay, you have to go this way. For me, I can do it this way, but you can't do it that way. You have to go around, you have to go back, you have to do it like that. Different qualities of a leader. One is the example for everyone to watch and the chokhmah to understand that others might need a little different way of getting there. And then he says to Hashem, they should not be like sheep. Sheep don't have a shepherd. Am Yisrael should not be like sheep. We need a shepherd. And of course the obvious question is, shepherd is for the sheep. The word shepherd comes from sheep. What does that mean that sheep don't have a shepherd? Of course they do. So what does he mean? They shouldn't be like sheep who don't have a shepherd. Sheep have a shepherd. Give another example maybe of things that don't have a shepherd. Maybe squirrels don't have a shepherd. Maybe elephants don't have a shepherd. But sheep have a shepherd. So he picked the one group of animals that actually have a shepherd. And says, please, they shouldn't be like the sheep who don't have shepherds. How does that make sense? The answer is that sheep don't have a shepherd for them. The pasuk says, Asher en lahem ro'eh. Of course he knows there's going to be a leader in Am Yisrael. He wasn't worried that Am Yisrael would be leaderless. But would the leader be for him or for them? Yes, sheep have a shepherd. But the shepherd is doing a job. He's getting paid. 
He's not doing it for the sheep. He's doing it for his own pocket. Maybe he wants the wool. That's why he's being a shepherd. He wants the meat. He wants to sell the sheep when they get bigger and fatter. Sheep don't have a shepherd for them. Sheep have a shepherd for the shepherd. He says, Hashem, please, please appoint somebody who's not in it for himself. He's in it for them. Asher en lahem ro'eh. Please, no shepherds here. We don't want a shepherd. A shepherd is in it for himself. It's a selfish endeavor. We need someone who's doing it for them, not for himself. Some explain, actually Rashi explains a little differently on what we said earlier. Someone, Asher Yetzeh, who will go out in front of them. Rashi says, La milhama, to war. Simply it means when they go to war, he'll be in the front lines. He's not hiding in the back. Meaning when there's risks to take, he's right there. He doesn't ask others to take risks when he's sitting in comfort. And some say, la milhama, and sometimes he's willing to fight them. He's willing to fight his own people. Why would a leader want to fight with his own people? Of course he wouldn't. It's much more comfortable if the people always love you and agree with you, or you agree with them. But leadership sometimes says you have to go to war. Sometimes there are things that are eating up the very fabric of the greatness of the people that you're leading. And you have to go and do something uncomfortable. Sometimes you have to speak out on things that people would rather not hear about. And sometimes people have to be pointed to that you'd rather not. But when there's a virus and it's destroying, you have to stop it. It's not comfortable to go to war with the very people that you want to please. But sometimes there's no choice. Some explain that's what Ashi means, la milhama. That he's willing to go fight with his own people and make his life uncomfortable just for their good. I gave you here a few explanations of what, what Moshe Rabbeinu was asking for in this tefillah, in this prayer, that he's pleading, by daber, Hashem, I need this. I'm not leaving till you answer me. This is what I need. I need this kind of guy. I don't want that kind of guy. I need this. I need that. I don't want that. And I think... This gives us an opportunity to ask a very simple question. First of all, is it really appropriate for Moshe Rabbeinu to tell Hashem what's a qualified leader? Is that really respectful of Moshe Rabbeinu to go to Hashem and say, Hashem, we need a leader. We need it badly. 
I'm not sure if that's respectful either, by the way, because these are not Moshe's people. These are God's people. Remember, God appointed you. So he chose you. What are you, what are you going to say? Vaidaber, I'm not leaving here until you tell me, hello, Moshe, this is not your nation. You were chosen 40 years ago. You did your job. Goodbye. See you later. Imagine you have an employee that worked for you for 40 years, and now it's time to leave. He says, I'm not leaving here until you tell me who's taking over. What? What are you talking about? You don't own this company. You work here. I don't know if altogether asking for a leader was appropriate. Certainly not vaidaber. And certainly not, I'm not moving until you answer. And maybe worst of all, not only are you asking for something that's not your business, now you're also becoming the advisor of the creator of the world. Now you're going to tell him what's a good leader, what's not a good leader. This is what you think is good. You don't think that's good. I would think that is chutzpah. I would say that is disrespectful to go and tell Hashem what you think is the right formula for leadership and then to choose one. I would have said, thank you Hashem for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. It was 40 years too much. You gave me such a zechut. Thank you. I would, that's what I would have done. I'm being honest. I think, I hope, in my good sense, I would have done that. But I see I'm wrong. Because Moshe Rabbeinu does not do that. And Hashem wrote it in the Torah, which means that I'm wrong. But that's why we learn. We don't learn so we could see how right we are. You know, a lot of people learn. It's true, it's a, it's a, it's a real thing. A lot of people learn to find how often they're right. And they get excited when they see, oh, 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 I told you. See, I've been doing that for 40 years. I always do that. But really learning is not to support when you're right. Learning is meant to teach you that you're wrong. So I'm happy that I was wrong. But the answer, but what's the answer? Bottom line is, it's not nice. What, what happened to that? So I'm going to tell you a little something today about humility. That's how we started. But like I told you, wisdom needs steps. You've got to build one after the other. The definition of a humble person, as we've learned, in mindset, the mindset of humility is very simple. It's a very honest person who doesn't take credit for anything they didn't do, like their body, like their accomplishments, like their wisdom, like their strength. They don't take any credit for things they don't do, which is the overwhelming majority. The only thing we do, I told you, is to make choices. That's it. So for that, we could take credit. 
But everything else, not you, it's not me. I could come here today, I made a choice to come and teach, that's to my credit. But what comes out, first of all, if God forbid Hashem wants to stop my mouth, He could stop it. If my brain would shut down for a second, He could do it. If He took away my energy, and God forbid a person would pass out, God could do it. So all of what's happening internally, externally, it's not me. The fact that I remember things that I learned last year or 10 years ago, it's also not me. I made a good choice, but that's like a very small part, an important part, but a small one. So if I would walk out of here and say, wow, that was a great class, wow, you're really top. You're a very special person. I look at the mirror and clap for myself. It's not appropriate. That's ga'ava. If the class went well, say, Hashem, how can I thank you? What is zechut? That I was able to say it right. I didn't slip. I didn't make mistakes. I remembered things. I didn't blank out. So that's, that's what humility is in the reality of the human mind. When you know that what you do is not you. And what you have is a gift that you were given. Simple. Now, a lot of people might actually think, well, I know that. I know. I know. Like they say, Hakol Mishamayim. How many times have you heard people say, Hakol Mishamayim? Every, everything is from Hashem. It's all from Hashem. How many times have you heard someone say, it's all from Shamayim? So don't be so excited when people say those words. Meaning, while they might want to mean those words, and maybe they even feel they mean those words, but words are very cheap, and sometimes their actions clearly they show that their words are not really reality. So let's think for a second. If I really had the mindset that everything that I have and everything that I get and will get is from Hashem. So what do you think I would be very invested in? Answer is tefillah. I would be invested in tefillah. Because if really, ultimately, Hashem is the one who makes the success in this meeting I'm about to walk into, this date that I'm about to go on, this family that I am in charge of, or anything that I do, from the smallest to the largest, if really God is the one that grants whatever hatzlaha I'm going to have, so obviously, I need to pray. I gotta ask him. Because if he's sending it to me, how can I ask him for it? If he's the source, if he's the door, so why would I not knock on it? 
So what comes out is that if a person doesn't really pray and doesn't ask Hashem for their needs, is really not humble. Because if you don't ask Hashem for your needs, so that means you think that your needs don't come from Him. That really your Hatzlaha comes from your brains and from your strategies and from your preparation and from your greatness. I mean, once in a while you'll pray because it says you should pray, so you'll pray. Because you're a good Jew, so you'll pray. But if the tefillah is not coming from your heart, asking for something that you need, something missing. What's missing is there's a lack of humility. Basically, you think it's in your hands. Meaning what you've accomplished you think is you. So you're just continuing putting all your effort in your physical area, but you're not putting effort in asking the Creator to help you. So what would you say is the, the, the translation of someone who puts effort in one area and ignores the other? It must be the other is not an address. I'm not going to go ask somebody who has no money to give me money. It's the wrong. Imagine you sit down at a meeting and say, listen, I'm building a building. You know, we need a lot of money. Uh, we're going to need uh, $30 million. We'd like you to be a partner. Say, of course, what a, what, a, what a project. I love the project. I love it. I'm in. I'd do anything to help you. Okay, beautiful. What a meeting. What a great meeting. Okay, so how much are you going to give? I can't give you anything. Oh, why? Okay, I don't have money. You knocked on the wrong door. That's silly. What, you don't, it, it's, yes, he loves you. He wants to help you. But that's not the door you knock on when you need money. Find somebody else. If a person doesn't pray and ask Hashem, if you don't knock on the tefillah door for the things that you need in life, that's a siman. It's a sign that you're not as humble as you think. Because true humility automatically makes it obvious that you need to ask the source of your success for his help. Because you know that's how you got it last time. But if you think last time you got it because of yourself, you don't need to ask. If you don't ask for your health every day and say, Hashem, please, Rifa'inu, help me. One time a person asked me, how can I ask for my health? I'm healthy. With respect, I didn't say this to him. That's one of the silliest things I've heard in my life. It sounds smart, but it's silly. You think you're healthy? You're healthy? See, this person thinks that health was born with him. In other words, his situation in life is he's healthy. So why would I pray for health? Health is here. Little does he realize that he's being sent health every second. There's a delivery of health every second of the day. But if you think that you're healthy, you're smart, you're able, you're the one, you're doing, why would I pray for that? Why would I pray for parnasa? I mean, I have a good business. 
That's called ga'ava. So one of the simanim, one of the signs of humility is a heartfelt prayer that's on our mouths. Yes, we have to make an effort, of course. I'm going to get to that in a second. But the real address, the real door is tefillah. Imagine going to the vending machine and walking all the way there and choosing every item and looking, oh, that's the one I want. And you put in the money. And the only thing you don't do is you don't press the button. So you didn't do anything. Without tefillah, you're not recognizing where your beracha comes from. And that's what humility is. So a humble person automatically is in tefillah mode. It could be people uneducated and don't, they don't realize, they don't put things together. But this is the reality. Humble people, they pray for their needs. So now we understand at least why Moshe Rabbeinu was praying. He's not leaving it up to Hashem. He needs to pray because he is a leader and he's responsible for the future, as we said, unlike what we would have thought maybe. He, he knows leadership is responsibility and therefore he knows that Hashem is the one who is going to appoint the leader and therefore he's going to pray. He's going to take his responsibility to pray. But why all the details? So here I want to share with you, I think, a very simple thought. But I think people might misunderstand it. And that is that life and its accomplishments is my job and your job. It's not God's job. You know, sometimes in the world of bitahon, of trusting in Hashem, Sometimes it almost feels like you're being told just to throw it on Hashem. Hashem, you know what I need. You're the all-powerful. You got it. Just please take care of it. I rely on you. It almost feels, tastes a little bit like Bitahon is saying to you, throw it on Hashem and let him deal with it. Take it off your back. Why carry the load? Let him carry the load. You've heard things like that, which is true. But there is something misleading in that or could be misunderstood, and I want to clarify that. If Hashem gives us the responsibility of bringing Parnassah to our home. You cannot take the responsibility and say, here, God, you do it. I rely on you. I'm out. It's your thing. You take care of it. You cannot give your responsibility to God. He gave it to you. That would not be appropriate. If he wanted to do it himself without you, he didn't need you. So if he gave you the responsibility, it's your job. These children is your job. This marriage is your job. These students are yours. 
This business is your responsibility. Never give God your responsibility. He doesn't want your responsibility. If he did, he wouldn't give it to you. You always take the responsibility you were given. You don't hand it off unless you can't do it. So what does it mean that I take responsibility? So how does that work with prayer? This is confusing. Just told me the address is prayer. So basically, according to that, you're walking out and say, okay, I'm quitting my job. I'm quitting everything I do. All I'm doing is praying because at the end of the day, that's the door. The door is tefillah. So therefore, I don't have to work too hard. I just have to work on my tefillah. I'll pray for 10 hours a day, and that's it. That's the first part of the class. Now all of a sudden I'm telling you, wait, it's your responsibility. What do you mean? You've got to feed your own children. It's not God's responsibility. He's not feeding your children. You've got to do it. He's not taking care of your students. You've got to teach them. So how does that work? So, oh, so you want me to work now? So you don't want me to pray? What are you saying? Do I ask him or do I do it myself? Make up your mind. The answer is, you have to take the responsibility and do everything you can and everything within your ability. Anything you do in life that's given to you as a responsibility is your responsibility, which means equal, that you must do the best you can to make it happen, whether it's a business whether it's your children, your marriage, your students, your health, anything that's given to you as a responsibility is your job. You have to worry about it, not Hashem. You have to make sure you're doing the best you can, which would mean different things for different situations. Sometimes it's sweating, sometimes it's thinking a lot, sometimes it's whatever needs to be done is your job. Do not hand Hashem your job. You have to do everything that you can, including you have to know what you need. It's also your responsibility. If Moshe Rabbeinu is responsible for the next leader, he can't tell God, okay, God, you know what? You handle it. You know it's a good leader. You know what to do. I'll leave it up to you. Take care of it. But what I suggested, I would do earlier. It's all nice and respectful, but it's missing something. Hashem gave me the responsibility of the next leader. I can't give it back to Him to do it. So therefore, I have to work as hard as I can if not to find that leader, at least to know what I'm looking for. Because that's part of my hishtadlut. Part of my effort is to know what I'm looking for. To do my homework and say, okay, what do we need as a leader? We need this. We don't want that. We need this. And then at the point where you're done, your hishtadlut, 
When you finished doing your job, you took care of your children the best you could. You planned the event the best that it can be. You put in the best effort for anything that you're doing. You're done. Your job is done. At that point, you knock on the door and say, Hashem, I took responsibility for my job. But I know, I know ultimately, you have to push the button. And I know that coming to you without taking my responsibility is not the right way to approach you. I'll give you, Hashem gave us a mashal in life for this. That we should never forget this. You know, Hashem gives the way we deal with each other. He gives us examples so we understand how He deals with us. Someone comes to you and says, please, I'm desperate. I need $10,000. Could you please help me? My credit card is way maxed out. I'm being evicted. I need $10,000. Please, could you help me? And of course, the kind person that you are, you have $10,000. Of course, you want to help them. But wait, I want to ask you, why don't you have $10,000? What happened? What happened? He says, I'm out of a job. Oh, I feel so terrible. You're out of a job. Why? How come you are out of a job? He said, well, I'll tell you, I like waking up like 2 or 3 in the afternoon. I don't like waking up early. And people not really hiring at that time. You know, the hours of 3 to 4 is really when I could work, because at 4 I have a baseball game, and then I have nothing. I, so the hours of 3 to 4, I haven't found anyone yet that's hiring. So I bet you wouldn't give that guy money. And by the way, I think you shouldn't give him money. You're only hurting that person to give him money. How come? He's a person in need. Why don't you give him money? Answer is, because if you see someone that's helping themselves, they're working hard, they're doing the best they can, and it's not happening, and you could help, so you help them. But I'm not here to take your responsibility. That's not my job to be responsible for your life. Why did Hashem do that? Amongst people we have those feelings. Because that's the way Hashem is with us. When you come in and you made your maximum effort, which means you took full responsibility for the job He gave you, then you could ask. Then you can knock on the door. Do not knock on the door before you do Hishtadlut. You can knock on the door anytime, but that's not the right way to do it. Full Hishtadlut and knock on the door. That is the way we work with the creator of the world. And now we understand Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu doesn't come and say, Hashem, you know, I know it's my responsibility. You know what? I don't know who this guy is. So you figure out what we need figure out the qualities we want, figure out what we don't want, and take care of it. It's on you. That would be very inappropriate. We thought that was most appropriate. Very inappropriate. God gave it to you. For example, you pray for your children. That's why praying for people, especially your children, the ones that you're responsible for, or your students. You know, Hashem expects us 
to pray for anyone that we feel responsible for or that he gave us the responsibility. That's why the Kohen Gadol is kind of blamed somewhat when there's a murder in Am Yisrael. Somebody murdered. He was not careful. He goes to the city of refuge and doesn't get out till the Kohen Gadol dies. Now you have cities of people praying for the death of the Kohen Gadol. Hazit, what did he do? Gemara says, you know what he did? He didn't pray. He must not be praying hard enough. Why is that happening? It's his responsibility. Whoever you're responsible for, part of it is your tefillah. But, for example, when you pray for your children, one way to do it is, Hashem, you take care of them. You know what to do. You know better than me. I'm going to start asking you what should, what should be done. You know better than me. So, Hashem, here's my family. Here's their names, as if God doesn't know their names. Here's their name. Ruth bat Rahel, Le'a bat Yes. And, uh, Hashem, you know everyone what they need. And please fill in the blanks wherever you see them. Thank you. I appreciate it. Sounds like a very respectful tefillah. But it's not respectful. Because Hashem gave you those children. They're your responsibility, not His. And therefore, you have to take care of them. And when you turn for help, show that you did the best you can, including that you know what they need. Oh, this child needs this. That child is not learning so well. If you can give them a little extra hizuk. This one is down sometimes. This one needs some more good friends. This one is this. This one is that. Each child has their needs. And it's the job of a father and mother when they pray for their children to be specific. You've got to be specific. Because otherwise, you're not doing your responsibility. It's interesting. It's important to know this. You can just throw it on God. He, he threw it to you. What are you throwing it back? To the point that you reach that you can't do anymore, whatever is the right hishtadlut or not, is not today's subject. It's a big subject. How much do I have to do? How much hishtadlut? I don't want to get into that today. That could vary from different people. Maybe greater people need to make less hishtadlut. That's not today's subject. But bottom line, whatever hishtadlut you need to do, you could only come to Hashem after you're doing your hishtadlut. You can't tell Hashem, Ata honen adam da'at. Hashem, give me wisdom. You know how many people ask for wisdom every day and never get it? Look at them. Where's the wisdom? Where's the hachmah? Who raises children like that? Who talks like that? Where's the wisdom? What are you doing? You know how many people you could look at and say, come on, it's so obvious. Don't do that to your kids. You're going to wake up in 20 years and say, what was I doing? Well, I could have told you 20 years ago. It's so obvious. Where's your chokhmah? And you say, what do you mean? I pray for chokhmah every day. Every amidah, Hashem, give me wisdom. But let me ask you, you ever open a book? You ever go learn? Do you go to classes when you can? Are you maximizing your ability first in doing the best you can? You can't ask Hashem for wisdom if you're not learning. 
That's obvious. It's ridiculous. Of course, he's the one that gives wisdom. Of course, he's the address. But you got to do your job. You can't tell Hashem, Hashem, please make me healthy. You got to eat right. You got to exercise. You got to take care of your body. Don't ask for refa'enu if you're not taking care of yourself. Do what you can do and then ask. It's a rule. It's a rule with each other and a rule with Hashem. And you see this rule clearly in this subject, in this conversation of Moshe Rabbeinu. And by daber, by daber means I'm taking this responsibility really serious. I'm not moving here until you answer me. That's a man who's putting everything he can. This is my thing. So even if you don't answer me, I'm not moving. It's my area. That's the way our tefillot should be. They should be the most important part of our hishtadlut. But they first have to come because tefillah is also hishtadlut. It's also part of our effort. Part of the effort of getting better is going to the right doctor. Because when you go to the right doctor, they'll give you the right answer. Part of the effort of Ishtadlut is knocking on Hashem's door. He's giving it to you. If you don't knock on His door and you only do Ishtadlut, it's Ga'ava. You may say, Hakol Mishamayim, Hashem runs the world, everything is from heaven, all those great, nice statements. But if you're not praying, Shows it's not true. Your words, can, your actions cancel your words. Not to others, to yourself. I'm talking. Yeah, it's oh, I, I guess I'm not as humble as I thought, because my tefillot are not really that great. I mean, I say the words, but I don't know if I'm really like asking for things. Humility means you ask from the one who gives it to you. You don't ask him, so there's lack of humility. But at the same time, you can't just ask him, because that would mean that you're giving back the responsibility he gave you. So you got to do your best first, and then you could ask him. This is how we can understand very simply the conversation of Moshe Rabbeinu to Hashem. Of course, it's befitting Moshe Rabbeinu, being the most humble man, to have a sincere tefillah. You know what a sincere tefillah looks like, by the way? A sincere tefillah is something like the tefillah of Yitzhak and Rivka. It says in Parashat Toledot, Vayatar Yitzhak Ladonai. Yitzhak, he prayed to Hashem. Remember, they had no child. He prayed to Hashem, Lenochah Ishto, opposite his wife. It means they were both praying, but they were opposite each other. I mean, they weren't standing side by side, they were opposite. What does that mean? They were opposite. So Rashi Allah Shalom says, 
זה עומד בזווית זו, הוא מתפלל. One took one corner, וזו עומדת בזווית זו ומתפללת, and she took the other corner. They both went into the corner. Now you've put people in the corner before in your life, but we never heard that tefillah has to be in the corner. We heard tefillah should be in a Bet Knesset, it should be in a Makom Kavua, set place, it should be perhaps with no distraction, and therefore in front of a wall, don't be distracted, don't have paintings in front of you when you're praying. But why do you have to go to the corner? What is the corner all about? In fact, we see in Masechet Ta'anit, the rabbis used to pray in the corner. Haya Omed, it says by Rabbi Akiva, Haya Omed Bezavit, he prayed in the corner. What is this corner? And the answer is that, you know, sometimes the physical reality around us reminds us of what we're supposed to be feeling. When a person's in a corner, it basically means he's stuck. He can't turn right, can't turn left. There's nowhere to go. These are the words of David HaMelech in Tehillim. Listen to these words, such beautiful words. In 142, he says, I look to the right, and I see I'm trying to find someone to help me. I have nobody that knows me. Nobody wants to help me. Avad manos mimeni. Meaning, I can't escape. I'm stuck. En doresh lenafshi. Nobody could help me. I turn to the doctor, he can't help me. I turn to the rabbi, he can't help me. I turn to this one, he can't help me. Anywhere I go, I, I have no help. So what happened when that happened to David al-Melech? He says, Za'akti elecha Hashem. So I just started screaming to you. Amarti, I said, Atamahsi. Only you are the one that can help me. This is the portrait of a real tefillah. It's a person who feels there's nowhere else to turn. It's not this one, it's not that one. There's a, there's a story, I remember years ago I heard the story. I don't remember the exact details. But there was basically a, a person in Israel who was married for many years and didn't have a child. And uh, obviously it's a tremendous amount of pain. And him and his wife, they tried every doctor, every situation, every possible way. Not years. I don't remember the amount of years. It was a long time. And then someone told him, after all of that, that there's a professor somewhere in Israel that's supposed to be number one in the world in this subject. So if you go to him, you're going to the top. For sure, he can help you. So of course, they'll do anything. They got an appointment with him. And they went and they sat with him after talking to them and checking everything out. He told him, he says, listen, 
You are not having a baby. Done. There's nothing that I can do. Okay, who knows what that feels like? Now he's distraught. He tried, he went to the top. So he says, okay, the only address that's left, I'm going to go to Bnei Brak. I'm going to go to see Rav Chaim Kanevsky. Maybe I can get a baby there. He waits, he goes to Rav Chaim, he tells him his story. Tells him how he did this, he did that, he tried this, he told him the whole story. And finally, he went to this professor, the top in the world. And he told him he's not having children. So Rav Chaim tells him, okay, no. He says, so what should I do? What could Rav Chaim do for me? He says, what can I do for you? He says, if they're telling you there's no way, what can I do for you? I don't remember the exact words, but basically more or less like that. And the guy walked out. He went into the shul next door. Rav Chaim says, there's a, there's a shul to the left. There's nobody there. He stood in front of the hechal. He says, not the doctors, not the professor, not Rav Chaim. I have, no, I have nowhere to go. I'm done. There's nowhere to go. Those are the feelings of David Melech. And Doresh and Afshi. I have nowhere to go. Sometimes in life you feel that way. There's nowhere to go. You're stuck. You try everything. It just doesn't go. Sometimes it's small things. And sometimes it's bigger. But we've all gotten stuck somewhere in life where we're just like, how do you get out of this? He says, David Melech, that's how I feel every time I pray. You don't have to be stuck to know that you're stuck. Sometimes Hashem makes you stuck to remind you that you're always stuck. That's the tefillah. And that's why great people used to stand in the corner to remind themselves there's nowhere to turn. There's nowhere to go. It's not that person. It's not the buyer. It's not the person. It's not this. It's not the doctor. It's not, it's not that. Do your best, yes. But it's not them. You turn to your creator and you ask him with a heartfelt tefillah. You gotta invest in tefillah. Tefillah is a real investment. Tefillah is not a mitzvah only. Tefillah is the door that you need to knock on, but you gotta do it right. Today we're learning how what, what doing right means. It's your responsibility. But then you gotta ask, and it's gotta be real. You gotta feel like you're in a corner. Our tefillot have to be upgraded. Our tefillot have to be sincere. And as a reminder, it's part of anava. It's an extension of anava. Look how beautiful. We spoke last week about how we do one thing right and all of a sudden we don't realize something else is happening. A person who does what we spoke about today thinks that they have a good prayer now. But then one day they'll wake up and they'll be really humble people which means their whole life changed for the better. Real tefillah from the heart is a very powerful tool 
what Hashem gives us. We do have to make the call. Which, by the way, explains what we spoke about today. That means explains, you know, Moshe Rabbeinu is looking for this leader with all these qualities. He's saying, God, I don't know who it is. Help me. Pick someone. So you think that Hashem is going to pick like some, who knows what kind of person he's going to pick. Somebody from Shevet, Dan, that Moshe Rabbeinu never heard about. Somebody from Shevet Naftali that Moshe Rabbeinu never met. Because Moshe knows what he wants and you can't find him. So it's got to be someone here that know. Who is the person that was chosen? Most odd thing in the world. He tells Moshe, Kah lecha et Yehoshua binun. You know who the guy is? It's Yehoshua binun. Ish asher ruach bo. He's a guy who has ruach in him. Can I ask you a question? You don't think Moshe Rabbeinu knew Yehoshua binun? He's his closest student. Moshe Rabbeinu is saying all these things, and Yehoshua binun is right there. He is his servant. Yoshua Benun is the most dedicated student that anyone ever had in history. And it was Moshe Rabbeinu's student. The man is right there. What are you asking Hashem to find the person when the person is right with you? It's not like Hashem chose somebody from the boondocks. He's, he's right there. How could Moshe not see that Yehoshua Binun is the man? Isn't that odd? Could you imagine someone says, okay, you have a responsibility to hire the next leader. And you hear, you got to cross all the checks. Oh, wow. Oh, I know a perfect person right there. I know him. Done. Beautiful. You say, unbelievable. You're looking for someone to, uh, to run your business, to run your store. You want someone to teach. You have all these qualifications. One, two, three, four, five. So you don't know who the person is. Hashem, please, I plead, help me. But if you know the person, oh, perfect, I got it. Fadal, here's your job. The Moshe question here doesn't make sense. I mean, the qualifications make sense. The fact that he made up all the qualifications and worked on it, beautiful, great. But when he looked at them, didn't he know that Yeshua Benun qualifies? Who better than Moshe Rabbeinu? That's a big question. You know what the answer is? That if Moshe Rabbeinu wouldn't pray after he has the obvious answer, Again, it's Ka'ava. Which means that you do the best you can, and according to everything on paper, looks like this is the person. But, you know, who says? You gotta pray. You still gotta pray. Just because you're doing everything right and everything is working, you still gotta pray. You can't just rely on your own da'at. You go the, the most you can. And even when the answer is obvious, you still ask Hashem for help. 
Now, Hashem may not answer you like he did Moshe Rabbeinu in person. That's not the point. The point is that even when things seem to be obvious, for example, Lo'alenu, you need an obvious surgery. Somebody needs an obvious change in their life. But you still got to pray that it's the right thing. Because who knows if it's the right thing? Oh, because you think it's the right thing? So you think you know everything? You still got to pray. Even when it's obvious. That means even the obvious things in life, you got to pray for. Your friends, you, you have a, a child going to school, you got to pray for them. They're doing well, they're in the right class. You know, when they're in the wrong class, they're in the wrong friends, then you got to pray. No, no. When, when everything is, seems right, you also got to pray. Because how do you know it's right? It's only right according to what you think. You still got to ask Hashem. Moshe Rabbeinu asked Hashem. He's pleading with Hashem what seems to be the most obvious answer. And by the way, and this will end, by the way, it seems, according to some, or if you look in the words of Asuk, that Moshe might have made a mistake in error. Because when he asked Hashem, he says, Hashem, you are Elohe Haruhot. You're the one who understands the spirits. And when Yeshua was chosen, Hashem told him, Ish Asher Ruach Bo. A man who has the spirit inside of him. But wait. We're not looking for a man who has a spirit inside of him. We need the man who has spirits inside of him. Because the whole idea was that he understands the spirits, plural. But when Hashem answered him, he didn't say, Ish Asher Ruhot Bo. He, he understands the Ruhot. He understands all the differences between each person. He didn't say that. Ish Asher Ruach Bo. Which means that Moshe Rabbeinu, when he looked at Yeshua, he said, I don't know if he's a Ruhot guy. I don't know if he understands every guy. So he didn't qualify. Hashem says, you don't need that kind of guy. You don't need the Ruhot guy. Because the Ruhot person you won't see, perhaps, until they're in leadership. How would you know appointing a leader if they have Ruhot? How are you going to know? He's not in that position yet. How would you know to hire a teacher that will be able to understand every student? How would you know? He didn't do it yet. It's not, a, it's not a, a trial for a month. So if you're looking for a ruhot guy, where is this guy? Hashem says, no, no. You don't need that guy. You need a person who has ruach bo. Someone who's in control of his ruach. Someone who understands himself. You know, humans are all the same. Just different complications, but we're all the same. When we don't understand people, it's also because we don't understand ourselves. He says, if you find a man who understands his own ruach, who knows his own challenges, it's beautiful in life when someone says, you know, this is hard for me. I struggle with this. I know I can do better at that, but it's hard. I'm good at that. I'm not so good at this. A person who understands their own ruach is a very precious person. Because if you understand your own ruach, you'll understand other ruach too. So that's the qualification of a great leader. Ish asher ruach bo. 
if he is a man of his own ruah, then you can be sure that he'll be a man of other people's ruah. For that, siyata dishmaya, Moshe Rabbeinu had to pray. Whether he saw Yeshua as an obvious choice and still prayed, or maybe he thought it wasn't Yeshua, I'm not sure, I can't tell you. But bottom line, Hashem told him a little something. After he made all of his shishtadlut, he says, this one, you have the right request, but you can't look for that. This is what you look for. Look for the ruach, man, and you'll get everything that you're looking for. So anyway, that's the formula. Simha comes with anava. One of the simanim of anava is heartfelt prayers for the things that we need in life. But not we need in the sense that we're lacking. The one who realizes that we're always lacking. So everything we need, everything that's important to us that we pray with our heart, we make the best ishtadlut, we take full responsibility, and we ask Hashem to help us. This is the life and the attitude of a truly humble person. Amida from the heart. That doesn't take two minutes. Amida takes a little more time, maybe with English, maybe with explanation, to learn the sidur. This is not only a siman of humility, but it's also a siba. It also brings humility. My blessings to all of you to live life of humility in its fullest meaning. Baruch Allah le'olam. Amen ve'amen.